Welcome back, Hemingway List Brain Heads, to the Heming Brainiac List Head Podcast. What? Um, today's episode is brought to you by my Bogan translation of War and Peace. I am translating the whole book into Aussie narration. It's exactly the original. It's by Tolstoy, just translated by Ander Lewis. Go to anderlewis.com. You can get book one, which is available now. You can find it on Kindle store as well. <clears throat> and I think the Amazon store. You'll find it. You'll find it. Um, you can read my translation of War and Peace and still say I've read War and Peace because it is the original text just translated. The only thing I've added is a little bit of, well, it's a bit funny. It's a bit humorous, which makes it a lot easier to read. But the narrator is Aussie. All the characters are still historically accurate. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Okay, there's an ad for you. Don't do that often, but um, hey, why not? While I'm doing it, patreon.com slash the Hemingway list if you want to support the podcast. I saw a new um, supporter dropped in this week. Thank you very much to that person for the $5 a month subscription. Very much appreciated. All right, of human bondage, chapter nine. Ah, he has discovered books. Good lad, good lad, and he's got his nose stuck deep in that book. He loves a good book. Fix the Blue says, Whenever he started a book with two solitary travellers riding along the brink of a desperate ravine, he knew he was safe. This quote really stuck out for me today, even though the story told of adventure and danger Philip felt safe, losing himself in the pages of the novel. As a child, I also made the pages of books my safe escape from reality too. How sad that Mrs. Carey wouldn't let Philip play with the boys from London in case they corrupted him. She's so out of touch with what children need, and even though she is trying, I can't help but think bloody hell, woman, let the boy have a little fun. <clears throat> Swim said the mouth, she says she's the 19th century equivalent of a modern-day helicopter parent. They were so paranoid back in that time, the especially like the heavily religious folk, you know, like... Oh, they're from another town. Can't let them be near us. <clears throat> Strange times. I've got a bit of a frog in my throat tonight, so excuse all my coughing. Uh, and what you said about being safe in the novel, I thought it meant, well, we're probably on the same page here, but more like he was safe as in he was going to enjoy this book. Ah, yep, this is a safe bet. I'm going to like this book kind of thing. Simply Productive said, Sorry, busy week. I caught up on the readings yesterday while waiting to do my advanced driver's test, which I passed. Well done. Congrats to you. But these last few chapters have a touch of angst to them in my mind that had nothing whatsoever to do with the book. I am so glad he he is a reader. And I'm so sad that he will likely have the aunt and uncle try to take books away once they realize he's interested in reading and not in theology. Yeah, in other books... <clears throat> there's been a bit of a theme of like reading novels corrupts the mind, you know. Having a kid who reads books was like having a kid who was into punk rock. Oh, God. Oh, no. Does that mean he's a criminal? Oh, dear. Our boys are criminal. That kind of thing. Um, but they don't really seem to be thinking along those lines yet. Yet. I feel like you're probably right. Simply productive. And maybe they will. I am with you, Ander. Cool. Awesome. I don't know what you're agreeing with me with, but you're definitely right. Uh, I'm with you, Ander. You know how I am about religion, in that I don't mind discussing it, but this 
is the ignorant kind of religion that I despise. Oh, and I do hope we don't have to talk about it. <clears throat> Look, I wouldn't say I despise it. I would just say that, <clears throat> excuse me, I do tend to tune out during a heavily religious discussion. <clears throat> um, it's not too bad in this book, though. It's not too bad so far. Uh, can we just say that God has nothing to do with being ignorant and these people have chosen ignorance and move on? Yeah, I suppose so. Weaponizing religion is always evil, obviously, and that is what they are doing and will continue to do. Philip, on the other hand, is not of that sort. I'm actually quite curious about Somerset's perception of religion. We'll update shortly. shortly. <clears throat> um, okay, Morgan, this is from the Wikipedia. Oh, I just said the name, Morgan. Did I say it right? No, I didn't, did I? I said, all right, simply productive. You are on thin ice, buddy. <laughs> You've made me say the name that shall not be said. <coughs> Although you did copy-paste it from Wikipedia, so I'll let you off the hook. Evil name said that he remained agnostic to the questions concerning the existence of God. He considered that a mis the misery and bitterness of the world suggested that God did not exist. He said that the evidence adduced to prove the truth of one religion is of very much the same sort as that adduced to prove the truth of another. Evil name man did not believe in God or an afterlife. He considered notions of future punishment or reward to be outrageous. Okay, so he's agnostic. <clears throat> um, in essence, says the productive, Somerset was on a different wavelength from many of his contemporaries and society in general, which put pressure on all to follow a strict rule-based religion. Okie doke. Okie doke. There we go. Um, let's read chapter 10, shall we? Let's have a little look here. Okay. Chapter 10. <clears throat> Sorry about all the clearing of my throat. I think I've got a toad in my throat. It's gone beyond frog status. I know that much. The Careys made up their minds to send Philip to King's School at Turkenbury. Oh, is this, is this a boarding school? Has, have we just entered boarding school territory? The Careys decided, made up their minds, sorry, to send Philip to King's School at Turkenbury. The neighbouring clergy sent their sons there. It was united by long tradition to the cathedral. Its headmaster was an honorary canon, and a past headmaster was the archdeacon. Boys were encouraged there to aspire to holy orders, and the education was such as might prepare an honest lad to spend his life in God's service. A preparatory school was attached to it, and to this it was arranged that Philip should go. Mr. Carey took him into Turkenbury one Thursday afternoon towards the end of September. All day Philip had been excited and rather frightened. He knew little of school life, but he had read in the stories of the boy's own paper. He had also read Eric, or Little by Little. <clears throat> when they got out of the train at Turkenbury, Philip felt sick with apprehension, and during the drive into the town sat pale and silent. The high brick wall in front of the school gave it the look of a prison. There was a little door in it, which opened on their ringing, and a clumsy, untidy man came out and fetched Philip's tin trunk and his playbox. They were shown into the drawing room. It was filled with massive, ugly furniture, and the chairs of the suite were placed around the walls with a forbidding rigidity. They waited for the headmaster. "'What's Mr. Watson like?' asked Philip, after a while. "'You'll see for yourself.' There was another pause. Mr. Carey wondered why the headmaster did not come. 
Presently Philip made an effort and spoke again. Tell him I've got a club foot, he said. Before Mr. Carey could speak, the door burst open and Mr. Watson swept into the room. To Philip he seemed gigantic. He was a man of over six feet high and broad with enormous hands and a great red beard. He talked loudly in a jovial manner, but his aggressive cheerfulness struck terror in Philip's heart. He shook hands with Mr. Carey and then took Philip's small hand in his. "'Well, young fellow, are you glad to come to school?' he shouted. Philip reddened and found no word to answer. "'How old are you?' Nine, said Philip. "'You must say sir,' said his uncle. "'I expect you've got a good lot to learn,' the headmaster bellowed cheerily. The boy, to, <clears throat> sorry, to give the boy confidence, he began to tickle him with rough fingers. Philip, feeling shy and uncomfortable, squirmed under his touch. "'I've put him in the small dormitory for the present.' You'll like that, won't you? He added to Philip. Only eight of you in there. You won't feel so strange. Then the door opened and Mrs. Watson came in. She was a dark woman with black hair, neatly parted in the middle. She had curiously thin lips and a small round nose. Her eyes were large and black. There was a singular coldness in her appearance. She seldom spoke but and smiled more seldom still. Her husband introduced Mr. Carey to her and then gave Philip a friendly push towards her. This is a new boy, Helen. His name's Carey. Without a word, she shook hands with Philip and then sat down, not speaking, while the headmaster asked Mr. Carey how much Philip knew and what books he had been working with. The vicar of Blackstable was a little embarrassed by Mr. Watson's boisterous heartiness and in a moment or two got up. I think I'd better leave Philip with you now. That's all right, said Mr. Watson. He'll be safe with me. He'll get on like a house on fire, won't you, young fellow? Without waiting for an answer from Philip, the big man burst into a great bellow of laughter. Mr. Carey kissed Philip on the forehead and went away. Come along, young fellow, shouted Mr. Watson. I'll show you the schoolroom. He swept out of the drawing room with giant strides and Philip hurriedly limped behind him. He was taken into a long, bare room with two tables that ran along the, its length. On each side of them were wooden forms. "'Nobody's much here yet,' said Mr. Watson. "'I'll just show you the playground, and then I'll leave you to shift for yourself.' Mr. Watson led the way. Philip found himself in a large playground with high brick walls on three sides of it. On the fourth side was an iron railing through which you saw a vast lawn, and beyond this some of the buildings of King's School. One small boy was wandering disconsolately, kicking up the gravel as he walked. Hello, Avening, shouted Mr. Watson. When did you turn up? The small boy came forward and shook hands. Here's a new boy. He's older and bigger than you, so don't you bully him. The headmaster glared amicably at the two children, filling them with fear by the roar of his voice, and then with a guffaw, left them. What's your name? Carey. What's your father? He's dead. Oh, does your mother wash? My mother's dead too. Philip thought this answer would cause the boy a certain awkwardness, but Venning was not to be turned from his facetiousness for so little. Well, did she wash? he went on. Yes, said Philip indignantly. She was a washwoman then. No, she wasn't. Then she didn't wash. The little boy crowed with delight at the success of his dialect, then he caught sight of Philip's feet. What's the matter with your foot? Philip instinctively tried to withdraw it from sight. He hid it behind the one which was whole. I've got a club foot, he answered. How did you get it? 
I've always had it. Let's have a look. No. Don't then. The little boy accompanied the words with a sharp kick on Philip's shin, which Philip did not expect, and this thus could not guard against. The pain was so great that it made him gasp, but greater than the pain was the surprise. He did not know why Venning kicked him. He had not the presence of mind to give him a black eye. Besides, the boy was smaller than he, and he had read in the boy's own paper that it was mean that it was a mean thing to hit someone smaller than yourself. While Philip was nursing his shin, a third boy appeared, and his tormentor left him. In a little while he noticed that the pair were talking about him, and he felt they were looking at his feet. He grew hot and uncomfortable. But others arrived, a dozen together, and then more, and they began to talk about their doings during the holidays, where they had been, and what wonderful cricket they had played. A few new boys appeared, and with them... And with these, presently, Philip found himself talking. He was shy and nervous. He was anxious to make himself pleasant. But he could not think of anything to say. He was asked a great many questions and answered them all quite willingly. One boy asked him whether he could play cricket. No, answered Philip. I've got a club foot. The boy looked down quickly and reddened. Philip saw that he felt he had asked an unseemly question. He was too shy to apologise and looked at Philip awkwardly. Alright, there we go. That's the chapter chaptered. Well done. Thanks for listening, and I will see you tomorrow.